Hello and welcome to Rocket's Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort. I'm a senior video producer at Polygon. Ooh. And I am here today with game developer Brianna Wu and senior cloud advocate Christina Warren. Welcome, as always, to our show. I missed you last week, Christina. I missed you guys, too. Um, Build was amazing. That's Uh, what's missing from our show rundown. Christina's reaction to Build. Oh, my God. Just kind of a quick overview, and you can find all the session contents at mybuild.microsoft.com, youtube.com slash Developer, channel9.msdn.com, etc. But it was amazing. It was 48 hours of live streaming, which was a tremendous amount of work and like 230,000 people registered, which, which is nuts. And, and we had, you know, it it points, you know, uh, like, you know, just tons and tons of, of concurrent, uh, people watching, uh, you know, content, whether it was people doing breakout sessions or our build live stuff or the, the key segments. And it was really successful. You know, obviously there's a lot that we can learn and that we can improve from, but I was really, really proud to be a part of it. And I'm kind of shocked by how many people were interested and very, very pleased and heartened by the reactions. So good stuff. And we announced a ton of amazing things. Uh, my favorite being uh, Winget, which is a package manager for Windows, which is basically like native homebrew for uh, Windows stuff, which is amazing. It'll make the process of installing apps so much better for people who like the command line the official 1.0 release of the uh, Windows Terminal, which was the sexy terminal that Simone even got excited <laughs> about last year. That's now officially out. And Visual Studio Code Spaces is got a lot more details, which basically lets you use Visual Studio Code, but in the web browser, and you can choose to either have like a, a cloud-powered VM, or if you have your own machine you want to bring, you can use that in its place. And so the great thing is, is with that, you can literally code on your iPad, which is pretty great. So there were there were uh, also Azure Static Web Apps. There's so much stuff. I'm I, I'm done talking about it, but we'll have <laughs> links in the show notes for people who want to learn more. Of the sessions that are up, is there one you particularly recommend people check out? I think that the stuff on Azure Static Web Apps was really good. So for people who might be interested in building a website, but they don't want to pay, uh, A, a lot of money, um, and B, don't want to have to go through the process of like, how do I really, it can be a more complicated process. There was some really good stuff on that. And I will give a shout out to this. This You will get nothing of value out of it. However, I hosted my kind of what we're calling my annual game show segment. Uh, This time it was called Build or No Build. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty great. And I have to say, we had some audio problems in the studio when I was doing that. And so I couldn't hear the director or the contestants. And... Ah. but it still worked. So, <laughs> so you okay. faked it on 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 set. You you managed to uh, you pulled it off. That's the mark yes. of a pro. What I find most stunning about Build is that not only did you successfully live stream for forty eight hours, but you also did it from the zone of my nightmares. You transported yourself to my nightmare zone and broadcast from there, <laughs> and that's yeah. Stunning. I honestly didn't know that Microsoft had the technology to go into that dark realm <laughs> and and emerge unscathed in our current present. I know. Which is also I know. So it, was, great. it was bizarre. It was, <laughs> well, it was. It was cool. Actually, I really liked it because I got to leave the house, and so from Aww. my twelve a.m. to nine a.m. shifts, I got to do it from the studio. But when I was doing some of the other interviews, I had to do it from home. So, uh, but it was nice because I got to leave the house and interact with actual people, like. In That's person, stunning. We Whoa. were socially distanced, which was like the the policies they had in place were amazing. But it was actually really great to be able to be around mm-hmm. people again. Oh, that sounds great! All right, well, let's dive right in to our show. Uh, first topic of the day. I hope you're all ready to get a little bit angry. Oh, <laughs> is everyone ready to get a bit mad? According to a report by the Wall Street Journal. Facebook has been well aware that its product stokes divisiveness uh, after an internal study was presented to executives in 2018. And a separate 2016 internal report showed that 64% of people who joined an extremist group, extremist? Extremist? Group on Facebook did so because the company's algorithm recommended that group to them. 
Facebook's response to learning that their platform was designed in such a way that it makes people very, very mad. Um, they purportedly downplayed the results of these studies because to change the algorithm would damage engagement, which is something that we have known would be true for a long time, but did not know necessarily that Facebook had been well informed about that. Um, and doing changing the algorithm would also disproportionately affect conservatives on the platform. Another shocking surprise. Uh, I am so pissed about this article. It's really Simone. bad. It is. It's it really is bad. so much more damning than even your summary captures. I mean, mm -hmm. the the overall. The, first, I just have to say this is coming from Wall Street Journal. Okay, not Mother Jones. Wall Street Journal. Murdoch <laughs> Wall Street Journal, which, by the way, did a fantastic job with Theranos reporting. But you can also expect that when it comes to a social media company like wanting to give conservatives a fair shake, the Wall Street Journal is going to be a sympathetic institution to that particular concern. Um, and I, I know, but... Uh, no, but, no, no, there's a very big difference between the opinion board and the news organization. That's fair, and they do amazing work. But as an organization, I'm just saying this isn't, this isn't you know... Well, they're not coming Republic. at this with an agenda. They're not right. coming at this with an agenda, that's right. for sure. So... This is so unbelievably damning. Everything in this story from Zuckerberg, like when they bring a conflict to him about this, and him at the end of this short meeting saying, you know what, I just kind of, uh, I just kind of don't want to be involved in this anymore, and don't bring this to my attention anymore. Or that stat showing the number of people that joined extremist groups because Facebook recommended it to them, to the person in charge of the post-Cambridge Analytica uh, changes at Facebook, quitting because he could not get buy-in from the higher-ups at the company. Every word of this is beyond damning. And it should tell you what we all know about Facebook. They are rotten to their moral core. And all of us here on Rocket said we didn't expect anything to change at Facebook. And this reporting certainly bears that out. Yeah. And I would say what really bothered me, you know, the reporting's fantastic. And it's interesting because Facebook's response is to try to say, oh, well, we're a different company than we were in 2016, completely ignoring the fact that plenty of the <laughs> reports come from 2018 and, and, and later than that. And it's like what, what bothers me is that they figured out really early on that Facebook's algorithm and the way that they have been tuning that algorithm to basically ramp up engagement, because engagement has been a key metric that Facebook has sold and used internally and externally to show that they are successful. You want to get user growth, user engagement, and, and you want to keep people on longer. Like That's the big thing that they like juice everything for. And it, I would not be surprised. I don't know this for a fact at all, but I, I would not be surprised if people's bonuses were not based on things like that, if that was not like a, 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 a an OKR or, or a, um, you know, um, or, or a KPI that they have to uh, accrue. I, it's also definitely one of those things that is mentioned in every earnings report. So user engagement is a key thing for them that shows kind of their growth indicators. And early on, this task force that formed to kind of look at what impact Facebook was having on, on uh, making things more divisive and, and making uh, things more polarized was that they said, okay, we are making this worse because our goal to increase engagement is actually causing more people to join these hate filled, you know, Facebook groups that we're recommending mm -hmm. these other hate groups to them. And so we're part of the problem. And they even said, okay, one of the ways to solve this, the net effect will be that there will be some growth loss. Some the engagement will not be growing at the same rates. And you might see some trade-off. And that seems to be like the third rail with people like Zuckerberg and his other executives, where basically if you say okay, we are going to, you know, this is bad for society. What we are doing is bad for society, but to fix it, we have to hurt our user engagement. Then that is enough of basically saying, okay, well, we can't do that. That's a third rail. We can't go there because that is more important than anything else. And that to me as from like a, both a product development standpoint and a moral standpoint is just disgusting. 
everything you just said, Christina. On top of that, if you read between the lines and the quotes of this story, there's this techno-utopian, smarmy, smug, lecturing attitude there where they are so idealist that they 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 cannot wrestle with what they've built. I mean, the smug quotes from Zuckerberg at the end of this, like, if we want people, you know, we can't stop people that don't like each other from going after each other. We ah. have to all come together magically. <laughs> that is such BS, because what do you what do you think you're doing? You, 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 if you can make them more divisive, you can make them less divisive. That's within right, your right. power, right? You, I mean, we've shown over and over that the internet influences people's behavior and it doesn't have to be built in such a way that makes people hate each other and exacerbates differences. It's absolutely ridiculous that he would say something like that, especially because they probably have a bajillion behavioral analysts, not a bajillion, that's an exaggeration. Like behavioral analysts were not not involved with making this algorithm and making it so addictive and so divisive. No, they weren't involved in making it divisive, but making it so compelling to to have. It's just silly. Right. I mean, and, and to your point, right, they they can move the needle one way, they can move it another. But to me, the bigger problem is, is they've actually created problems here. Because yeah. I think that People at Facebook, and and I, I do have friends and people who either currently work there or who used to work there, and I think you're right, Bree. There is this idealism that has been present for a really long time. And the idea was just kind of like, we have good intentions and we want things to work well. And I can appreciate that, but you also, at a certain point, have to come to terms with the fact that you created the atomic bomb. And the Manhattan Project had <laughs> nasty consequences. Like, I, I'm sorry to use that analogy, but it, it is what it is. And the thing is, is that what this, you know, working group was finding was that it wasn't the certain events and certain behaviors were not happening organically. They were showing that people were acting in ways they would not otherwise act because of moves that Facebook was making on an engineering basis to up engagement and to up other things that would improve you know, Facebook's bottom line. And to me, that's the thing that says, okay, if you say we're idealists and we have these, we, we don't want to take a, a, a stand where we want to be neutral and we don't want to be, one of the terms was paternalistic. We don't want to, you know, force things on our users. Okay. You know what? I can almost appreciate that point of view. I might not agree with all of it, but I can appreciate that. Where that falls apart for me is that when it turns out that your behavior is having a not neutral effect, then you have, I believe, an obligation, if not to turn things the other way, to mm -hmm. stop, like, putting your weight down on the scale. Yeah. yeah. And there are stories in this of groups, like, within Facebook that were working on projects, like this Common Ground project, which is supposed to bring people together over hobbies, that people like Joel Kaplan, uh, who works at Facebook as the vice president of global public policy. That was one of my important notes. Um, and as a former Bush staffer, people like him step in and say, right. hmm, this is this is not going to this is going to harm engagement. Why don't you stop doing this project that, as it says, is politically neutral. It's about politically neutral content. If they want to be neutral, they, they have no ground to say that because they're oppressing any sort of project towards making more neutral content on Facebook. And that's the thing. That guy, if you read his quotes and stories, not politically neutral. He worked for the freaking Bush administration. Yeah. And he has right. a veto power over everything. And his first priority in these discussions was his own political bias. This story points out that although the changes that this group wanted to make would impact conservatives here in the United States more, it would Im impact uh, other political groups around the world very differently, including you know more progressive groups uh, worldwide. So, so it's they're locked into this U.S. centric Fox News view of this. And he's not an impartial actor, and you know, Christine, something I kept thinking about, and I. How can I put this? I, I keep thinking about something you've said on this show repeatedly, which is you've always felt that the answer to bad speech is more is more speech. Right. And I was I was reading a book recently. It was by Richard Stengel. It's the former editor of Time. 
Um, he wrote a book on information warfare. Uh, after he left time, he went for to work for John Kerry uh, as an undersecretary uh, at the State Department. And he wrote a lot about his fight against uh, ISIS and uh, Russian propaganda and what it was like to have the levers of the, the State Department to do that job. And he said one of the, the lessons he learned doing that is coming as a journalist that you can't be, he learned that being an information idealist uh, just doesn't work. You have to be an information uh, realist. And I think with Facebook, we all agree here, I don't want conservative viewpoints like stifled. I don't want leftist viewpoints stifled. I want productive discussion. But there has to be some ownership mm -hmm. here about the way our democratic norms are disintegrating to the point where we're not even living in the same reality. And I absolutely believe Facebook is responsible for a very, very large portion of that. Yeah. And it's absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. And, but we now live in a society where apparently things like whether the coronavirus is real is a partisan viewpoint, right? <laughs> which makes right. it like at that point, you, you, you have you have to suppress conservative thought because a certain part of conservative thought, and again, I'm not like this. I don't want to tar all conservative people with the same brush. But if what we're calling conservative, quote unquote, is I'm going to drink this malaria drug because it's going to cure my flu virus, then I guess we are suppressing conservative thoughts. Okay, okay. <laughs> No one wants to suppress a thought about what the uh, the top marginal tax rate yeah, like, should be. Wait, <laughs> right? Take me back to arguing about taxes. And right, I, right. I don't know. Like, no. And I think more to the point, I mean, it's laws. like. I said porn, right. not porn. <laughs> okay. Well, both of them, right? But but I think that the, the, the change here, though, I mean, it's, it's, a, there's just the difference between what is factual and what is not, and you're not suppressing. And, and it's it's insane to me to say we're suppressing thoughts uh, by by saying that you know if someone says something is factually incorrect, marking that as incorrect is somehow suppressing thought. It's like okay, you can be allowed to say that, but that should that get the same amount of amplification? And I think that's the question, right? Like I do firmly believe that the answer to bad speech is more speech, but the, the caveat there is that amplification can't be at different levels. And what we've seen, and this was even borne out in the reporting, as they said themselves, that the majority of a lot of this toxic behavior and a lot of the people who are using agents and a lot of the, you know, the things that would even look bot-like where people would be hyper-engaging and be spending maybe 20 hours a day on the platform were coming from conservative sites and conservative users. So anything they do is going to have a larger impact on that mm. user base. To me, that is not that is a completely different thing of suppression. It's like if a if, if a greater group of people are causing the problems and you make changes that are going to impact the problems and they happen to be more predominantly impacted, like that isn't making a, a partisan play. That's just like we're trying to clean up our platform yeah, and keep if, it from being overtaken actors, by spam. Then exactly. <laughs> Well, well, this is my argument. I mean, this is what to me is so disingenuous about the arguments from uh, the conservatives saying that the Facebook and Twitter and other things are against them and are, 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 you know, ramping down their speech. It's like, okay, if if you were saying that people were making statements and sharing information in good faith, and it really was what they believed, and it they weren't bad actors. It didn't have a nefarious, uh, you know, um, goal, and and it wasn't done either because it foreign agents or you know hacker kids in Macedonia or other people were trying to make a buck off of something. Then I think we could have a different conversation. But that's not the case. We can't pretend like the people who are doing these things are acting in good faith because mm -hmm. they're not. And, and if the situation was reversed, I would say the exact same thing. If it turned absolutely. out that people on the left were were you know putting down false information, were actively trying to game the system to spread misinformation, that's acting in bad faith, and that doesn't deserve the same amount of respect and and neutrality as as other things. That's not even a hypothetical, Christina, because if, if take the example you just said about the people on the site twenty hours a day, the super engaged people, right? They, they undoubtedly know that that's probably a bot account. 
you know, possibly Russia. If you don't think Russia is going to be out there inflaming the 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 fringe of the left, the next time there's a different president in charge or some different priorities going on, you're wrong. And this, it's it's not even. It's just something you've got to show some leadership at some point. Mm-hmm. They've been so reckless and irresponsible. If 2016 did not wake them up, I mean, they've just abrogated yeah. any kind of responsibility they have. Especially if Marcus Zuckerberg doesn't even want to hear about it. No, he doesn't want to be bothered. He says, don't don't bring me into this again. I've lost interest. It's you know, initially for him not to know, frankly. Well, I'm sure that it is, but he's lost interest. And unfortunately, I mean, and what was interesting... They didn't go into a lot of details, but Chris Cox, who for many years had been their chief product officer, and he was our early hire, and he was always would speak at their Facebook events, and um, I'd met him a couple of times, and he, I'll be honest, I ended up, I never really thought that much of him, but I actually gained respect for him when he left Facebook, and I think he left because of some of their decisions around encryption and messaging, but he seemed to be advocating for these groups, and he was not listened to. That was what was stunning to me. He was somebody who was literally there for a really long time and was one of the people who was closest kind of to the inner circle. Mm -hmm. And if Chris Cox couldn't get through and couldn't make headway, (laughs) like, you know, I mean, it's just, it's stunning to me that there seems to be, I mean, and that was another part that was really kind of depressing to read in the article is that a lot of the people who were involved in these things, some still remain, but the group has basically been disbanded. Another one exists. And most of the people involved have left. And I Mm -hmm. don't blame them. Why would you stay someplace if you know you can't have impact? Why would you bother trying? Exactly. Well... This episode of Rocket is brought to you by the recipe for lemon poppy seed bread that I found <laughs> on my computer that my mom sent to me. Uh, it was sent, it was shared through Dropbox, where she has a folder of recipes. And so when I decided to use up some of the poppy seeds that were in my cabinet, I just searched poppy seed on my laptop and this recipe came up and I made that bread. We don't have sponsors this week. Christina. So <laughs> there's a, a wonderful, beautiful headline at Gizmodo for a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad story. Texas Instruments, maker of all of the calculators that all of us used in high school because we were required to, is removing support for programs written in assembly or C on some of its most popular calculators. And the Gizmodo headline is Texas Instruments is nerfing the best part about its calculators. And it's It's true. And I have to turn to you as I think the premier expert in sideloading programs under your calculator to defeat high school and possibly college as well. How do you feel about this? Oh, I'm so mad. I'm completely, completely angry. This is ridiculous. So for 30-something years now— But on, on now, a scale of 1 to Mark Zuckerberg suppressing information about divisiveness caused by Facebook's algorithm, where are we? Okay, well, if that's like 100, then this is maybe like 70. I don't know. Whoa, okay. So now you're ready, <laughs> my listeners. My number would be a little lower. But <laughs> I mean, mine, okay, proceed. look, I'm, I'm being hyperbolic for a reason. Mine would be lower as well. I just I just feel like this is egregious. Maybe maybe we'll put it at 50. I don't know. I, th- I think that this is terrible. Um, uh, I love Victoria's songs article at Gizmodo. She had it filed too. I'm pretty sure my mom saved my TI-83. Um, so as most listeners probably are aware, because if you grew up like in North America and probably other parts of the world too, if you have been in high school or college in the last like 30 years, you've more than likely used a Texas Instruments graphing calculator. Texas Instruments has a ridiculous monopoly on the kind of, you know, like high school, college calculator space. They've been selling essentially the same models with minor modifications for the last 30 years, and they've kept the price the same. So you're still paying like $150 for one of these things that has the same like 6800 or 60,000 like processor as the one that you could have bought 30 years ago did. Uh, in <laughs> fairness, I suppose they haven't changed the price for inflation, so it was $150 <laughs> then, it's still $150, but it's ridiculous. Like they are literally printing money on these things. And even worse, when uh, like other companies don't even have a chance to compete because the college boards are almost completely standardized on um uh like the the TI calculators. Now, I don't know about any of you, uh, any of you on the, uh, either you, Brianna, or you, Simone, 
but me. You know I, the answer for me, but go on. <laughs> okay. I do know the answer for you, unfortunately, and it makes me sad. But, um, you know, a big thing that we all did with our calculators was we, A, used them to sideload and install games so that we could play Tetris or like, you know, like Drug Wars or like Final Fantasy VII or Mario, like things that were completely homebrew and terrible, but fun. Uh, we would build our own um, uh, programs. Like I definitely programmed a lot in TI Basic on yep. my various calculators. And you would use them to cheat because yep. that the that had a certain amount of memory in it and you could load in notes or other files. Like I had a TI-89, which is not affected by this news, which was like one of the most powerful ones. That was the one that does like differential um, equations and can do can solve algebra basically. So it can really cheat for you, which is great. And that one you could actually like sideload text files to and you could hide stuff around. Anyway, kids have been using these things to cheat for as long as they've been around. Apparently, there was some video that went viral where an older version of the firmware, like not even the current version, somebody showed how you could bypass the testing mode because apparently that's a thing they've added to these calculators. They haven't added anything else. They haven't added the memory. They haven't updated the processor. They haven't improve the screen, but they've added some applications. They've added a testing mode so that when you go into that, basically you can't access some of the other parts to try to prevent cheating. Well, someone figured out how to disable that and the video went viral. Oh no, kids are kid, kids shared how to cheat. And TI's response to this was not to be like, well, yeah, this has been happening for 30 years. It was <laughs> to like completely turn into narcs and say, okay, well, we're going to update the firmware. And what we'll do with that update is ruin the ability to sideload applications or Ugh. games, which completely kills the hobby scene, which look, it's small, but in the past, TI yeah, had actually worked with them. And even worse, it doesn't prevent, there are still ways that 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 the teens can and will prevent uh they, they, they can like mess around with the testing mode so of it doesn't course, even solve you could get an older one and like i oh my god there's so right. many ways around that ridiculous. there's so many ways around this like I, it's just I, it's so bad i have so much to share about this so Please do. um i i like i'm like you christina i'm team cheat <laughs> i cheated <laughs> absolutely i cheated but this is really personal to me one of the first times you know i grew up in mississippi it was very hard to get science and math education there. And I'm just going to be really real with you all. I went to a bad high school, and my computer science skills, I had to pretty much teach myself. And for my math classes, I was sitting there, and I was bored out of my mind for most of them because, frankly, they just weren't that hard. Right. So, you know, I, w I will never forget this. I was singing trigonometry, AP trigonometry. And, you know, it was just a very easy class. And I started sitting there and messing around with TI uh, Basic, like what you were talking about, the programming language on there. And I started to think, like, how does a casino work? And I started to program a, um, a simulation of a casino. And I did all the variables and the odds of all the different games. I looked up all the, the – I didn't actually do the probability. I would have it play the actual games graphically and go through and do the statistical simulation of the casino working. It was just mind-boggling wow. how much money it would generate uh, because Mississippi was talking about bringing in casinos for tax revenue. Then I redid that program. I won the school science fair and I got second in the entire state science fair. Oh my God. And I'm like this nerdy, uh, socially awkward kid that doesn't know what the hell I'm doing with anything. And it was an experience of going and doing my own thing that taught me, it, it really helped teach me initiative, right? Mm -hmm. Because no one guided me to do that. That's the kind of functionality, like installing Doom on a TI calculator gives you valuable experience. I would argue that learning to cheat on this calculator, it's not easy to do. No, like it shows initiative. Because you know, you know who would have benefited from that? Me. I would have <laughs> yeah. benefited from that. You know who didn't figure out how to? Me. Because, like, I'm just not, I'm not good at that kind of thing. But that was my first thought when I read about this was, man, so many kids probably learn or have an introduction to coding because they're like, yes, I'm going to break my freaking calculator. Why yes. not? <laughs> right. And that's so and cool. 
Exactly. And like, look, I I saw some people arguing like, well, I don't know what the big deal is. Kids have a million things to hack on now. They have phones and this and that. And yet, look, you're not wrong. Okay. This is, I would seriously doubt at this point that a TI calculator would be anybody's ideal first introduction to programming. And in fact, it might not even be a good way for people to learn now. Right. And and you're right. You you have a smartphone in your pocket and you have a, a laptop on your desk and you have other ways that you can do stuff. But to your point, like, it does open up this creativity. Mm-hmm. So in the TI-89, like, what – so the 85, which – in the 86, uh, which uh, now I think they have, like, the 86 uh, CE or whatever, and, like, the the 83, um, which I guess is now the 84 or whatever, there were different methods of – where you would have to show if your memory was clear. So before they had the test mode, what they would do, uh, what teachers at my school would do is they would go down and they would make you show that your memory was cleared so that it was you didn't have like a program or app mm-hmm. or notes or cheats. And so the first thing that we would do is we would create like new like fake screens to basically <sighs> replicate that it sh- was showing that it was clear. So it looks like it's clear, but it turns out it's not. On the TI-89, it was a little bit different. And at first, actually, I was really lucky. The most of the teachers didn't know how any of it worked. And that was that one was a lot more advanced. So you could hide stuff. But what I wound up doing was just like basically building like an empty app-looking um, thing. And inside of it was where my text files were, where I would just type notes on my <sighs> computer and then transfer them over. And I did actually show one of my high school teachers once like how I was cheating in physics. And his response was not to be like, you're, I'm, I'm telling your physics teacher and <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> right. And, and, and you're going to get in trouble. He was like super impressed. Mm-hmm. He was like, this is, this is great. And I was like, look, I mean, cause you know, there's a certain, I think amount of, look, everybody's tries to find a way to get ahead. Uh, or a lot of kids do. That's just, it's, it's a natural thing. And I think like my personal creativity and, and the fact that I was like thinking outside the box to do those things, that to me was way more valuable than whatever I forgot about physics. Also, like it was, it was notes. I mean, you know, you have the concept of like open book tests and things like that. Yeah. I think I even made this comment on Twitter. I was like, as if we don't all just Google stuff all day for our jobs anyway. You know yeah, what I mean? And to the point of there being a billion other things for kids to learn on these days, I think that underestimates the appeal of the fact that you're not supposed to do it. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of time. Like, you, you can sit a kid in front of a, a piano and tell them, okay, you can learn how to play piano now. Please learn how to play piano. But if they don't want to, they're not going to. But if they can, like, find a way to goof off or get ahead or do something that is exciting and like mentally stimulating, I think they're in some cases maybe more likely to come to programming via this like <laughs> sexy underground route than totally. You here's a here's a Raspberry Pi. I mean, not that kids don't enjoy coding on ret or making things with Raspberry Pi, but if you have a kid who is maybe not necessarily naturally interested in that, but you give them this opportunity to do it, like I said, in this underground sexy way of hacking a calculator. Maybe yes. they learn something that they, they never thought they would be into. Right. No, I think you're exactly right because you feel like you're getting one over on everybody. And I think most of us, like Bree, like my story was very similar to yours. I was bored in math class. I was bored in English. And I would finish my reading and then I would play Tetris and I would get yelled at because I was playing Tetris instead of, you know, paying attention. And I was paying attention. I was just playing Tetris and she'd ask me questions and I would know all of them. I'm like, I finished reading 20 minutes ago. What else am I supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to sit there quietly or read it again. I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. So I would, you know, play games and then I would start coding stuff. And like, I I would want to make my own hacks to my games. You know, I was like, oh, you know, this version of Snake, there's this bug or doesn't do this thing I like. I think that's actually how I started was I wanted to fix something. We'd also, you know, spread around how to do the different things to one another. And so you'd find out, oh, I have to get this type of cable and this is the sort of thing that I've got to do. And, you know, it's it's like it it took effort. It's it's not like this was like a a one, you know, step thing. Even the video that they show off, it's like it's not like it's a super easy thing that anybody could do. And frankly, like this hasn't stopped the problem. The kids are still going to cheat. That is just how it works. I would argue that knowing how to firmware break a Texas instrument calculator is probably a more useful life skill than whatever's going to be on your trigonometry test that that week. I mean, it's just, uh, 
bad move. It's a good legacy <laughs> of a great calculator. I've actually bought a new TI-86 uh, while we've been sitting here talking oh, no. about it because I miss mine so much and they cost yeah, literally yeah. nothing. Oh, yeah, see, I, I, I've been conflicted on this. this. This is how I feel personally like betrayed. They make a rose gold TI-84 CE Plus, <gasps> and I've almost bought it like four times, but I just haven't been able to justify $137 because I will literally never use it. It will go on my shelf. I would just want it because it's rose gold, but I've almost bought it like six times. And now I'm like, okay, if I bought one today, it wouldn't have the latest firmware. I just wouldn't update it. be fine. But now I'm like mad. <laughs> so you could cheat on your high school t- <laughs> Completely. Well, you could just just frame it. Just put it in the glass display case that I know you have of all of your electronics. Yes. No, no, no. Even better. Your bad Aunt Christina to some of your friends' kids. And you're like, oh my God. God, Come here. here. I got the good stuff. I got to say, I don't know what kids are like these days, but. If I, I I don't know how I would feel about a kid in class who had the rose gold TI eighty <laughs> three. Like I I got mine from the hey these are the calculators that we have left over from graduated students that you can get at a discount rate so that you can keep up with the rest of the class bargain bin. Um, well, I mean, they, they sell them in different colors now. So if you didn't have one of those, like if you go to the store, like you have different options. They have a gold, they have a rose gold, they have other things. So, so I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, you probably still look bougie, right? But yeah. let, let's make no mistake. I would have totally been the bougie bit with uh, the, the rose Absolutely. gold calculator. You, we all know that. I just, I just love the idea of Christina outside of a high school, like for a second career. Like, come here, come here. You, want you need the good some help. Stuff. You want some good stuff? I, I have I an unpatched that. calculator. Let me help you out. <laughs> <laughs> just leaving them on the steps. All right, completely. Let's talk about some HBO. HBO Max is finally here, and because of that, we finally understand who has access to it. This has been, of course, the big question. So HBO Max, $14.99 a month, and now we can tell you that most subscribers who pay for HBO will automatically be upgraded to HBO Max. Most. I say most. So if you have HBO through cable or an app, you probably have HBO Max. yeah. Unless Mm -hmm. you subscribe through Amazon or Roku, and then you do not have HBO Max. HBO has confirmed that the HBO Now app will be upgrade, automatically converted to an HBO Max app on all compatible devices. That, of course, not Amazon or Roku. Very disappointing for me, a person who just switched to Roku from Apple TV. If you have TV through AT&T, you might get HBO Max, depending on your plan. Um, and most excitingly for me and Christina, yes. <laughs> Warner Media announced today that it has a deal with Comcast, so HBO Max is available to uh, people like ourselves, uh, upstanding Xfinity subscribers, at no additional cost, uh, as long as they already subscribe to HBO. So, oh boy, the most confusing and like piecemeal rollout of a streaming service is finally yep. mostly done. Mostly done. No, it's so interesting, right? Because this is what happens when you have an existing relationship um, service. Like you have an existing business model, both with the traditional cable companies and also partnerships with these other kind of resellers, rebundlers, like, like Amazon and Roku and how all these deals can be worked out because AT&T now has two masters. Like one of them is, you know, the, the, the direct TV, kind of the cable side of their business and the fact that they need relationships with the Comcast of the world and the Roku's and the Amazon's. And the other part of them is like, oh, but we want to be like Netflix and we want to be like Disney Plus, and we want to have these direct relationships with our users. And it's like they're finding out it's really hard to have both. Um, notably, when HBO Max launched, Comcast, which represents 30% of their subscribers, uh, which is down, it used to at one point, I think, represented 50%, but it represents 30% of their subscribers, according to recent estimates, was not signed until after the service launch. <laughs> and I would love to be, and obviously they were both playing chicken. And and I I, I have a feeling that in this case, this was probably a, a, a place where um, AT&T like, you know, dodged because basically uh, the Wall Street Journal had a really good article kind of going through what the different problems are between the different companies, what the different conflicts are. So with Comcast, it was about the fact that um, AT&T wanted to raise, I guess, the fees that they would be mm. making for making this additional content available, even though the price that consumers pay is the same. So that would cut into their profits for, um, 
Roku, it is about both advertising and um, about uh, giving them kind of like a percentage of of other stuff. So, so Roku, how they make money is that they are able to basically get information and then sell um, advertising based on they get like a percentage of I guess like the subscription piece, but they also want to sell advertising for the the channels that are on their platform and because. Uh, Warner Media is planning on launching an advertising supported version later. I would assume the the Wall Street Journal says that basically Roku wants a piece of that business too, which mm-hmm. understandably AT and T wouldn't want to mess with. Now with Amazon, it's interesting because Amazon does have a lot of leverage here. They have um, you know the second biggest streaming stick with Fire TV, and then they also have through the existing Prime setup, and this predated the AT and T acquisition. You have the ability to get a channel of um, HBO as part of your your Prime channels subscription, and so when you do that, you pay for it through um, Amazon, and it shows up kind of alongside any of your other content. Now it's different than the Apple uh, version, and different than some of the other add-ins, in that you can't use it other places. Hulu has a similar thing, so it's basically one of those like, okay, you can only kind of access that content on that platform, mm. and what uh, Amazon wanted to do was continue. They're like, hey, we want to continue billing people directly for $14.99. And instead, what AT&T says is, no, what we would really prefer is if this will just port people to an app. And so when you click on this, it'll just open up the app and they'll have our experience and they'll be billed through us. And they'll get, they'll use our application. And we would get the user information data and and it wouldn't belong to you. And so it's really coming down to kind of a platform play. My guess is that they will probably have to make the deal with Amazon first, and it'll probably give – my, my guess, I have no idea, will give HBO more of the control of kind of the, the ownership relationship, but give Amazon a cut of the subscription. Uh, Christina, I hate this. <laughs> I know. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You know what the, the worst thing? What? I really like the content selection okay, I do too. on HBO Max. Like, this is the thing. This is such a cluster. It's a terrible name. It's too complicated for people to get started on with. But if I'm being totally candid, this is, like, I think the best content lineup, like, in terms of just a pure content. What What's on it that's new that I should care about? Do, what, okay, actually, hang on. Let's interrogate that question. Do you want <laughs> yeah. new shows, Brie? Yes. Right. You do? Yes. Okay. I don't know. Uh, actually, no, <laughs> let me tell you. I don't know. So the DC DC's streaming service, which I can't even remember the name of, because all I can think of is Dark Universe, which is not the same thing. The, all of DC's shows are on HBO HBO Max now. And I have heard very, very good and things about, about Doom Patrol. About good. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I've heard it's incredible. Yeah. Susanna Polo loves it. And I've also heard pretty good things about the Harley Quinn a cartoon that's on uh, DC's cursed streaming platform that nobody cares about because why would you? Yeah, yeah, I've heard great things about Harley Quinn. Is it just an animated movie or is it? An it's it's a, it's a show. It's a show, but oh, apparently, really? like, yeah, and like, apparently, like, she like she and um, what's her face like broke up and like she went full on ham. Like um, Alex Kranz has been telling me about it, and it sounds really it's an, good. It's a raunchy adult Harley Quinn cartoon. I'm in. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's stuff. just the one with the with the pics of it where uh her relationship with uh with Ivy is now canon? Yes. Okay. I'm <laughs> hey. Right, right. So so there's that. Um there's a selection of, of Crunchy Roll, you don't get all of that. They also have some of the stuff from the Criterion service. Um yes. there's the Looney Tunes library. And then, like, you get all the HBO stuff. They have some originals. In addition to Friends and Big Bang Theory, there's Fresh Prince. There's some other things. They have, uh, like, Alex Kranz described it as, like, uh, there's a ton of of Turner Classic movies. There are, like, 400 of them, which is good for us, again, Simone, because we don't get TCM as part of our Comcast package because they want to charge, like, $5 extra. So now we have, like, 400 movies, which is great. So, um, but but Alex Kranz was like, if you're a fan of old movies and 90s sitcoms, then this is for you, but otherwise I'm not so sure. And I'm like, okay, but... But see, I'm I'm down with that. Like, yeah, I think there's definitely something not to be underestimated about having access to a bunch of movies that you might not have seen before. Um, I mean, for me, with the Turner Classic Movies, for instance, like if, when I have the opportunity to sit down and just watch movies, like I do sometimes with my HBO app right now, I think that's great. And it's definitely something that I have missed on Netflix over the years because I remember a time when there were more movies available on Netflix 
and less of the original programming, less of the shows. And it was a great opportunity to sit down and watch a movie on my own terms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their originals, I mean, they are doing some of those that are, this is also the weird thing with this service is that they have originals. Why are they doing that? (sighs) It's bizarre, right? Because it's like, you already have HBO. And I think that the honest answer is that some of the things that they've done, like there's a a, a new show with um, Paul Feig and Anna Kendrick. And like, that looks like that could be good. Um, uh, It's called Love Life. Um, but to be honest, maybe it wouldn't be HBO quality. Maybe HBO wouldn't green li- green light it. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. But I think that's really what this comes down to is that they're trying to kind of separate. Like HBO has, makes its own programming decisions and they can't influence that. Whereas this maybe has an opportunity to have originals that wouldn't fit the HBO maybe a little more trashy. It does have right. some weird content things. So The Verge pointed out it has the first and third Hobbit movies, but not the second one. It has the whole Studio Ghibli library, but not Grave of the Fireflies. And there are a few other things like that where it's like, oh, we have most of the things, but not some of the things. Like there's no, none of the Superman movies are on it. No Superman, period. But they have some of the other DC movies. And they're going to have the original Justice League until June. And then it's going away. But then, of course, as we all know, it's going to come back with the Zack Snyder Snyder cut cut. (laughs) in 2022 or 21. I can't remember. Um, So it's very – there are some interesting licensing things happening. Yeah, no, it's yeah, and I have to imagine that some of those might just be that they'd already signed licensing things with some other services for that stuff. Who knows? Um, it's complicated. They are doing some things like a lot of the Adult Swim stuff is there, which I love because obviously Turner is part of Warner Brothers, and so that's coming in. And so they've said that they're going to be doing um, some rematch, two reimagined seasons of the Boondocks, as well as like a, a fifty-minute special, which I think that's one of the best animated shows ever, and I look forward to. Home Movies, which is one of my favorite cartoons ever, is there. Oh, my God. Home is Movies there. is going to be there? It is there. It's already there. All of it is oh there. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Home what Movies. What about is, Dr. Katz? Is Dr. Um, Katz there? I, I'm looking through right now, probably, because they have Space Ghost. They have Aqua Teen Hunger oh. Force, uh, Robot Chicken, Bed Apocalypse, um, like uh, uh, Rick and Morty. Um, yeah, more than likely, uh, Dr. Katz. Uh, uh, well, no, 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 no. Dr. Katz wouldn't be, because that was car- that was uh, Comedy Central, so that is Viacom. I can't believe they made an app for us old people. I know. I'm super excited. But to your point, Simone, actually, I do think that they should lean in on this because I wrote this. It was one of my first viral Gizmodo posts. And I was like, all the good movies. Netflix doesn't have movies anymore or whatever. Where did all the good movies on Netflix go? And it was kind of looking at the trends that over the years, the amount of, you know, like um, catalog content has dropped and, and high quality catalog content has dropped because they've gone all in on their originals. And that's fine. I get that that is better for their business model. But to your point, like it means that if you want to catch up on stuff, you don't, it's harder to do that. And so mm-hmm. I actually really appreciate having a really, and Warner Brothers, I, I would say arguably of all the major studios, probably has one of the most robust catalogs. So I'm not, I'm not mad at it, you know, like. Also because we get it for free. So I mean, right. I, I, I mean, you pay for it and I get it well, for I free. I do pay for it. Yeah. I mean, I would say this, if, if you are, we're going to subscribe to HBO anyway, because it's the same price. It's a no brainer. It would be one of those things where I wouldn't say if you don't care about HBO, this is not something I would subscribe to, right? Like I feel like the main value here is still you have the entire HBO library. And and HBO, a certain amount of their content is available, for instance, on Amazon Prime. That complicates things too, actually. Or not on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I believe it's on, on Prime has some of their content and, and um, uh, you know, for um, like for certain things. That complicates things for, for AT&T as well. But that's AT&T's problem, not mine. So I don't know. I, uh, I'm hoping some of those gaps that you mentioned will be filled in. But I mean, like right now when you're looking at the blockbuster franchises, like they have Lord of the Rings, Alien, Die Hard, Jaws, you know, all yeah, the Harry I'm Potter okay movies, <laughs> you know, like A Nightmare on Elm Street, Godzilla. Like these are things that you can't find on the other services. So I'm not, I'm not mad that if I want to watch the Alien films, I can or the Die Hard trilogy mm-hmm. or, you yeah. know. God, I wouldn't watch Godzilla. I, I do just want to say before we move off this topic, uh, you know, The Verge came out. They they kind of gave a quick, re- not a review, but uh, some quick <laughs> quick impressions of the service. And they did say one of the problems is a lack of uh, cohesive themes. It's not really 
it's not really, and this is what we said when we were talking about the first time around with Rocket, that wasn't really clear what the idea was behind the channel or what you were going to get. It wasn't really clear when things were going to be coming in or coming out because it's kind of a, a grab bag of content. And they had also noted that HBO is no longer uh, subscribable through the uh, Apple TV uh, channels app. Right. That's not to say you can't sign up for it like independently through the app, but as far as the bundle service through the Apple TV uh, app on the TV, which is by far the most convenient way to do it, they've, they've removed that. Yep. So um, I'm going to subscribe to HBO no matter what, because I'm, I'm in with Westworld till the end. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it doesn't really impact me, but there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's just, it'll be interesting to see what non-HPO people they can bring over. I think that's going to be the interesting thing, right? Because yeah. you can make the argument that if you weren't already an HBO subscriber, like how much of this is going to convince you to subscribe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to a very quick dessert. Uh, speaking of hacking things, Christina hacking things that she shouldn't hack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you hacked your Switch, lady. I did. Or more specifically, I hacked Bree's Switch. Thank you, Brianna. <laughs> no um, uh, Brianna sent me... Uh, it, it will be TBD. We're still going to do Animal Crossing Fire Festival. It's still happening. It's been very busy. I actually got a really good run-through, though, on how that could work because we had a um, a, a post-build celebration in Animal Crossing where um, this MVP on our team who's like a, a, a quantum physicist and, and does a lot of stuff in our quantum computing stuff, she made her five-star island, like she decked it out for Microsoft Build. I'm talking like made like, you know, merch stands and registration booths and set up a Channel 9 studio mm-hmm. in, in one of her houses. And um, Jen, gentleman who uh, works um, at Microsoft and does amazing stuff, she made these amazing T-shirts that had, like, the Build logo and, you know, other, like, logos associated with things. We had, you know, computer, you know, and, and laptops and, and stuff set up. Like, we really, like, made it so that it was, like, a virtual version of of Build that people could come in. We even had swag for people. It was, it was awesome. And... To get that up and running, it required a tremendous amount of, like, different items. And, you know, the the problem is, is even if you have those things in your catalog, you can only order, like, three at a time, and you're limited by how many things you can catalog, like, order from your catalog a day, which is a problem if you need, like, say, like, I don't know, like, 20 laptops. Like, that's becomes an issue. It also is an issue from the amount of bells that you would need, because each of them is, like, $100,000, 100,000 bells. And so I, uh, I hacked my, I, I hacked Bree switch just a little bit, just a little bit, and and then used some of the the various cheats that are available. This is incidentally how all of the really good streamers magically happen to have all the stuff that they have is that they are doing this sort of thing. Um, there are some like I wouldn't recommend people hacking their switch if you still want to go online with it because you more than likely will be banned. There are ways that you can help mitigate that, but if you, uh, part of it is by partitioning your switch almost into two parts, like the the hacked part, the not hacked part, and you just never Ugh. go online with the hacked part. Um, but the good thing is, is that Animal Crossing, when the local play works, that's just happening on your local network. It's not touching the real internet at all. So if you wanted to transfer items from one game to another, you can, that's what I did. But I have to say, I kind of rediscovered why I used to always hack my consoles and my Kindles and, you know, even jailbreak iPhones back when uh, that was a common thing. Incidentally, an iPhone jailbreak is available now. I would not recommend people to jailbreak their iPhones. A, the the scene isn't what it used to be. B, there are now very real security risks that I, I just, I wouldn't recommend that. But I was reminded, like, why I used to love to do this stuff, you know, hack my calculator, because it was really fun, A, be the community around this and the people who are doing things that have nothing to do with game editing or, or or piracy or any of that, like are just creating really cool and robust tools around the Switch, which is awesome. And I think it's really remarkable. And see, like, okay, the free money cheat is always the first thing I ever do in any Sims game <laughs> because it's more fun for me to just have unlimited money and buy the things that I want. Like, it doesn't take away or ruin the game for me to do that. And although I don't think that I would, like, use this method of just being able to create whatever item I want, like, for my main game all the time, for something like this where we needed certain items and we wanted to have this experience, the way of doing it the other way would have been so time-consuming, it would have been frustrating, to be totally honest. 
And we wouldn't have had the joy of then being able to have like this beautiful kind of experience where people could Mm -hmm. come and play and, and do stuff with. So I, uh, I, I got like deep nerdy into the, into the switch hacking scene. And I, I gotta say, like, I'm a fan. I, I'm, 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 the reason I'd held off before this is because I was worried about getting my switch banned. But now that I have another one. real estate. Basically. (laughs) Can, can I tell listeners just why you have my switch? So I had, I had two switches and, uh, one was my husband's, uh, Frank, uh, when we first, uh, the switch came out, he was playing a lot of Splatoon 2 with me. He hasn't touched it since. In the meantime, that switch has flown around the world with me. The, the, it's cracked. The yeah. plastic is broken. It's scratched the screen. It's terrible. It will sometimes, as you're playing it, the the fan inside it will rattle. <laughs> yeah. The machine will shake. It's terrible. So I was going to like just move all my games and stuff over to Frank's Switch anyway. You needed it. So I'm like, here you go, Christina. So just, I haven't given up on the Switch. Uh, I have yeah, given yeah, up yeah. on Animal Crossing. So. <laughs> right, uh, right. So do you have terraforming and all that? now like it's working out yeah i already had terraforming before that but yeah yeah what this basically does is that you can um basically there are certain hex codes so people have reverse engineered the game and have figured out various item codes for every item that's in the game and so you can enter certain modes and you can enter in you can either select certain things and it'll fill in your inventory or you can choose to kind of maybe generate an item on the fly with a certain code. There's also some code, some some save editors, which will let you on your computer actually basically fill out your inventory of what items you want. Now, again, when you do that, if you were using a save editor, you will almost certainly be banned if you go online with it. So be careful with that. But there are there are other things. Like I think if you're just in, you know, like injecting objects from like the uh, some of the various um, uh, cheat overlays, I think that that, that it's fine. Um, so you can't do certain things. Like they have been able to figure out like how to spawn villagers and do stuff like that, which actually Polygon um, wrote about how people were so upset with the prices for Raymond in Animal Crossing. The fact <laughs> that people are like acting, asking ridiculous things that one like good Samaritan, like, you know, switch hacker had just islands full of Raymonds and was just inviting people over so that they could they could get their favorite dreamy, which I thought was <laughs> yeah. awesome. It's there there are different things that you can do. There's some stuff you can't do, like plants, for instance. You can't like kind of summon like what color you want or other things. And there are not every item or every ability is able to do stuff. There's some things that are just like flags. So if you wanted to upgrade your inventory without, you know, going through the steps that you need to do that, you could just change a flag in your save file to do that. So I mean it, the, the the levels and the things that you can do are are different and there are some like kind of quality of life things that people have done that I haven't really played with where you could stack more items and do some other stuff. I haven't really messed with that. I really just needed to, you know, we needed certain items. Like we needed laptops, mm-hmm. we needed, you know, TVs, we needed some, you know, other equipment. And um you also gave me an excuse because I've wanted to do this for years for the homebrew stuff, like not even for any of the other stuff. I was just like, I would like to be able to FTP my photos from my oh my god card Christina to my computer. Well, no, because it's annoying. Yes. I, no, I, you're you. That's you're one hundred percent correct. That is the primo use of hacking is to get those freaking photos <laughs> off without having to make a fake Twitter and tweet yes. them all and then download them. Right. Oh, that's that's smart. I should do that. But yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like it's an easier way to do that. So you know there is and and um. There is like a, a piracy component. I don't care about that. I I have money. I want to. I buy my games. Like I don't want to do any of that stuff. But you know, I think that's typically why people uh, are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why some of the people in the community, like in some of the open source implementations, they try to like not make that super like straightforward to do because they don't want Nintendo to come down on them. They're basically like, hey, we just want to be able to build our FTP activities or or homebrew games. No, this is this is like the Game Shark and Game Genie back in the day. That's it's all exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's exactly that's, that's the same thing. Well, and honestly, people, even if I'm not, I don't care. Like People do get very know? up in their feelings about it, but that's, you know, this, that's, we're done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, I was just going to say, like, yeah. real quick, I was just going to say, like, this reinvigorated my love for, like, why I love to do these sorts of things. And, if you're that type of person, it's, I don't know, it's just, it, it reminded me of like why I love certain types of devices because you can make them your own. I'm glad that you had that experience. Brianna, what are you doing this week? 
I've been doing real life Animal Crossing, y'all. So right in front of my house, there is this hill as you're trying to pull out of the the driveway. And Frank has declared this the hill he's going to die (laughs) on. So so we got a tiller, a gas-powered tiller. And he's been out there and he he goes through and with a just grinds up all the the topsoil on the hill. And he goes out there, he shovels it all out. (laughs) And he's been slowly like before this when tom nook needed he's like uh i'd like to build you an incline that's gonna be like 235 uh thousand bells i was like that is a ridiculous price i'm being capitalistly exploited by tom nook absolutely now after doing this i'm like yeah that that sounds fair this is kind of terrible so (laughs) that's what i've been doing uh uh i've been working on that uh i actually also cleaned out my entire garage this week so i can actually see the things in there so it's been one of those weeks i just kind of doing all these home projects that sounds really satisfying i love stuff like that it's great christina what have you been up to um, I've just, I, I was, I slept a lot after uh, all the Microsoft build stuff. <laughs> you did um, not. We, you were up for like six hours, hours after you said you, you were going to go. I was. Liar. Yes. I was. And then I finally fell asleep <laughs> for 10 days. <laughs> no. I'm watching it on Twitter. I'm like, boy, I sure hope Christina goes to sleep soon. I know. Simone, is Simone, Simone, Simone was finally like, Simone was like, Christina. Go to sleep. I'm, like, I'm trying. I'm trying. It's just you know, you're just like all kind you're of high on the event. Completely. Um. So yeah, I'm just trying to catch up. You know, um, after a long week, um, some other um work stuff. We've recently launched this thing called Learn TV, which is a way where you can watch both live and kind of pre-recorded content. We will, I think, be streaming our Animal Crossing um and Microsoft Build experience there on Friday when you listen to this. So if you want to check that out, that should be pretty cool. Um. And that yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, just um, now that the big event is over, now it's just kind of like, okay, you get into like planning things for for next year, like not around build, but around other stuff and things like that. Uh, I finished my Clark Gable music video, as you know. Yes. that on YouTube. Um, I've just been working this week. Now that I'm done with that, I can watch old movies for my own pleasure again. And now that HBO Max exists, maybe I won't have to watch them on the incredibly sketchy Russian website that has stolen all of my data. Um, (laughs) I think I talked about that briefly last week, so I won't go into it again. But um, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun working on the Quibi show. And if you are interested in watching Speedrun, I'm in two of the segments that uh, we had this week. So on Monday, I debated Chris Plant about what the best year in video games was, and I lost extremely hard, even though I was right. I just did a bad job debating. Um, Can you tell me what year you I chose 2007, and he chose 2008. See, I'd say 1995. Okay. (laughs) You've got Super... It was Super... Christina, that was the year Super Super Metroid... And Final Fantasy VI came out, right? Yep. Uh, Donkey Kong Country, um, Earthbound. Yep. Yeah. See, here's the thing. He should have argued for that because he remembers the year 1995. I chose (laughs) 2007 based on my own personal experiences and beliefs. And then he chose 2008. And I was like, are you kidding me? Oh, that's, uh, yeah, no, that's terrible. You cruel man. Every franchise that came out in my year had a better entry in your year, but they came from my year. Yeah. Yep. And 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 to be fair, sorry, uh Donkey Kong Country 2 was 95. Donkey Kong Country was was 94. But Donkey Kong Country 2, I think, is actually a better game. So I that I stand by that. Yeah. I think 95. That's Chris Plant's entire argument. Um and then on Tuesday I was in a segment where I toured uh Russ Freshstick's Animal Crossing Island and uh we talked about some of the like bonkers things that he's built because he's had the game for a very a long time and his brain works in incredible ways that allow him to apply a lot of it attention to creating strange magical things uh so his island's great and we do a full tour and we talk about some of his strats so that was very fun um and you can check those out on quibi what um and i think some of the clips are also on polygon's twitter if you want to see videos of that also, just uh, I know you're not going to say this, Simone, but uh, Quibi just updated the app, so it will play on Apple TV now. So oh, if you're yes. paying Yay. 
five dollars a month for it, you can actually enjoy it on your <laughs> Apple TV now. <laughs> it's very exciting. It's a very good update that I'm glad that they made because it makes sense to do so. Um, Brianna, where can I find you online? Uh, you can find me at Brianna Wu on Twitter, and I just want to say I misspoke. It was 1994. <gasps> 1994 was the best game year of video game history, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I was actually going back and forth on that, but I think 94 because Super that gets- Metroid, Donkey Kong Country, Earthbound, Mega Man X2, which is a superior well, yeah, sequel. Well, well, Earthbound Final was 95. Fantasy VI. Yeah, yep. Earthbound was 95, but whatever. But Mortal Kombat 2 is 94, so yeah. Uh, the Japanese release was 94, so... Well, no, no, the home release of Mortal Kombat 2 was 94, so that's, like, what I'm going off of. Okay, Okey-dokey. <laughs> Christina, <laughs> where can we find you online? <laughs> you can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams, and you can find some of my videos for work at youtube.com slash Microsoft Developer, and, uh, yeah. Nice. You can find me on Twitter at doomquasar and at youtube.com slash polygon. Um, and on Instagram at DoomQuizar, yeah, wherever I am. Um, and thank you for listening to this show. If you like it, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that is something that is very helpful to us. Uh, thank you so much for all your support throughout the many, many years. I'm going to say this now because we're going to forget. This was episode 281, which means we're <laughs> really close to 300. Um, we're like, what? A few months. Months. We're, we're several months away. Whoa! <laughs> it's amazing. We're going to get there, though, and that's amazing to me. Anyway, um, wow, this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.